Welcome back to the Division1Basketball.com podcast. I am your host, Wendell Tull, and today we'll be joined by Georgia Tech men's head basketball coach, Josh Pastner, who will talk to us about his experience at Georgia Tech. But prior to becoming head men's basketball coach at Georgia Tech, he, of course, worked for the legendary Lute Olson at the University of Arizona. He was a player there first, won a national championship back in 1997, ultimately joined Coach Olson's staff and worked under him for a few years before moving on to the University of Memphis, where he had the opportunity to work for another Hall of Fame basketball coach in John Calipari. And we know Josh's story. Ultimately, he became the head coach at Memphis after Coach Cal went on to take over the head men's coaching position at Kentucky. And so Josh has an interesting story, and he's going to tell us that story here on the Division1Basketball.com podcast. So stay tuned. Coach Josh Pastner, Georgia Tech University. Coach, first of all, thank you for, for coming on our podcast here at Division1Basketball.com. I know how uh, maniacal your schedule is, and it's legendary. Basically, everybody in coaching circles knows that you're definitely one of the hardest working coaches in America. So for you to take time out of your schedule, come in and, uh, and join us. That means a lot to us. How is your summer going? My summer's been good. It's just been busy, but all is good. And, uh, you know, just getting after it, trying to recruit and get organized and all those good things that go with that. Hey, Coach, when the school year gets ready to start and, you know, your players are back on campus, is that like, does that feel special every single time it happens? Like, for instance, you went back as a player, obviously, at, at Arizona and you experienced a lot of success there. And then you, you ultimately, you know, end up on the bench as an assistant and a head coach. And we'll go over a few of those stops in a few minutes. But once the school year starts, and my background, by the way, is in higher education. I spent a lot of years as a university administrator. And this time of year was always my favorite time of year when everyone was getting back on campus. Like, do you do you enjoy the process? You know, you've recruited tremendous players, and then you see them coming on campus for the beginning of the school year. What's that like every every year when, when the school year is starting for you? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great time. You, you just kind of feel it in your kind of just in your blood in a sense that you you know kind of when the football gets going and the start of the school year and you know like 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 the the fall season uh-huh. you know it's 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 a great time because it's you know you it's almost been like a you know a registered clock in your system if you're in if you're in education or if you're in coaching, especially with basketball, you just know that start of that school year, that time period. And, and I think it's exciting when the kids, you know, the young people come in to start to start the school year and brings new energy. And, you know, the great thing about being in education or being around young people, it keeps you young at heart. And so, uh, yeah, I just think it's, it's you just kind of feel it in your blood. And it's, it's kind of a, mm-hmm. it's just something that you you understand just like yourself being in education, you just have that feeling of when that time period comes rolling around. It's just kind of inundated within your system. Sure. I want to give everyone a little bit of a context in terms of my relationship to the University of Arizona. And I played basketball at Northern Arizona University, and, and I got a chance to see the U of A in action from afar. And it was always a program that I envied when I when I would watch the Wildcats play and watching 
Coach Olsen storm those sidelines and, and just be so cool. You know, like he was just such a positive energy and even as a player and I'm I'm running up and down the court and I was playing against guys like Judd Bushler and Anthony Cook and Brian Williams who ultimately became Bison Dele and and Sean Rooks and Ed Stokes and and Damon Stoudemire and even when we were getting worked at McHale Center I still would sometimes go wow this is really cool we're playing against you know one of the legendary coaches in the business and so when I ultimately graduated you were coming into the program as a player at Arizona and the story was, you know, early in the, in your career, everyone knew that ultimately you were going to be a coach. You you played for your dad, who was a very successful coach. So I want to talk about when you got to the U and you got a chance to play for someone like Lute Olson. What was that like? What was it like going up, uh, first of all, in practice against a bunch of All-Americans every single day, but also, you know, getting to, to get instruction from someone like Coach Olson? Yeah, you know, well, first off, let me just say this on Coach Olson. I think he's one of the greatest people in the history of the world. I mean, just the man, uh, I'm indebted to him for life. Like when people say you're appreciative or grateful, sometimes you could just say those. But I'm just telling you, I am so sincerely, sincerely grateful for Coach Olson. And, you know, he's, he's one of the greatest coaches ever. Think about it now. He single-handedly built that city tucson from ground zero on up the reason tucson is one of the great places to live what the reason tucson is what it is is because of what lute olson did because of how he single-handedly not only built a basketball program he built a university he built an entire city and i think sometimes that gets forgotten it's it's not just the basketball he elevated the entire city I mean, when back in the day when you would watch Arizona basketball on those Saturday mornings or Saturday afternoons, you would see the cactus on the court. And it's just there's, you know, what he did and how he did it and with the grace and class. And I mean, he, he like I said, it's not just he built a program. He built an entire city and it was from ground zero, literally from ground zero. And, you know, it was an absolute honor, an absolute privilege a true blessing just an amazing experience to be around him and and i tell you that as a coach there might not be a better practice coach ever and he and, and he's as good as there ever was and maybe ever will be in practice his practices were two-hour clinics he never missed anything his eye was able to catch every little thing his teams were always so sound fundamentally. The guy was the absolute best, the absolute best. And it was so awesome to hear you talk about playing for him and coaching under him. Because once again, as a player, looking at it from afar, I always thought, man, it would be so great to be able to have an influence like that as Coach Olson. When I watch you guys, one of my assistant coaches in college was a guy by the name of Dave Benezra, who, who ran uh, L.A. Rockfish. AAU program for a number of years in LA and um, he came up and, and one season he was our assist, one of our assistant coaches and, and a lot of players that he had in LA playing for him at the Rockfish uh, went on to play at the U 
And I'd always ask them questions, you know, what's it like playing for Coach Olsen, you know, and when he's standing at the end of the bench, he's got that the stats looking at, you know, the breakdown of what guys are doing. And it's not just about scoring, right? It wasn't about scoring or rebounds. He was looking at all the little things that people generally don't see or pay attention to, you know, and I always thought that was really just cool to see him uh, work the sideline as a, as a coach. And, and I think about you as a coach, as once again, someone who, once I was getting out of school, you were coming in and keeping it so positive, right? With your players. I see a lot of basketball, watch a lot of basketball, played a lot of basketball and everyone has their own style of the way to handle coach uh, players and officials and you know how they go about working the game and when i watch you there's a lot that you do that reminds me of coach olsen in the way that you still try to keep it positive even when everything has gone off the rails and so you know how are you able to keep your cool when you're watching these guys run up and down the court and maybe not doing the things that you want them to do and executing how are you still able to manage you know your your temper and and still coach and still keep it constructive, but, but also positive. Yeah. And, and, and first off, you know, Dave, he had a legendary grassroots program and they had so many players. And back in the day that the grassroots programs in the West coast was just some of the very, very best. And, you know, just tons of talent and tons of talent and some great times back in the day. And no, you know, one thing about being a head coach, you know, you're, you're really a CEO, you're managing a lot. And as the game has evolved and, society has evolved with technology and everything else and with social media you know you have to adapt and it's different today than it was probably 20 years ago and even for me as a head coach I'm going into my 10th year as a head coach it's different from when I first as a year as a head coach to to this year you know and it's just you know things change and you've got to adapt to the to the changes and you know, so I, I'm a real positive guy by nature. I'm really just upbeat and believe in energy and positive energy. And look, I get on our guys. I, I demand the highest level of excellence. I, I, I'm like Coach Olson. I don't curse. I thought Coach Olson, how he was able to never curse. I mean, it was just awesome and still get demand the highest level of excellence. And so I really try to take that from him. And, and so I'm, I'm just positive by nature. I think people want to be around positivity. Uh, again, like I said, there's different ways to skin a cat. I mean, you can, there's different ways to be a head coach in the end. You know, it's a lot of it comes down to the discipline, to the accountability and also to the talent level and the development of it. And for me, my nature, I got to feel what I'm most comfortable with within, within my own skin. And, and, and that is being upbeat and being positive around young people or just around people in general and seeing the glass as overflowing, not even half full, but as overflowing. Hey, Coach, when, when you're out there recruiting and you're looking at players, and I understand everybody wants the, the most talented player out there, but I know for me, I, I look at body language a lot. I pay a lot of attention to players as they're coming on and off the court, how they interact with their coaches. When you're recruiting a player, other than doing the standard background where you're talking to their coach and talking to maybe their AAU coach and, and their teachers, you know, what things are you looking for in a player besides the obvious, like this person jumps out of you know, the gym and, and can shoot the ball really well? What other things are you looking at that makes you say, yeah, this is someone that I want to work with. Um, this is someone I could spend some time with over the next four, maybe even five years if they redshirt. Are there certain things and tangibles that you pay attention to when you walk into a gym and, and you're looking at someone or a group of players and you go, 
that's someone that I, I need to to be able to spend some time with, you know, or do you just go, hey, I want the most talented guy out there. If they have a bad attitude, I could coach them up and make them adopt what we do in terms of a philosophy at uh, your program. How does that how does that work for you? Well, it's a great question. I, I, I have evolved over time on that. Uh, there's no question, you know, through time going to my 10th year as a head coach, I totally have a better understanding of what is so important to me with my values of the core values, the alignment factor and how I want to play. And, and so I'm trying to do the best I can to recruit guys that fit, that are aligned with me. I want to be aligned with them and I want them aligned with me. And I'm a real big believer in alignment. And, uh, you know, one of the key things for me is motor. Like, do you have a motor? Do you have a pep in your step? Are you self-motivated? Are you internally driven? Do you have a drive with inside your core stomach there and just saying, then I want to do whatever it takes to be successful. And I'm going to just be highly, highly self-motivated. I don't need people to motivate me. I'm going to be highly self-motivated. I'm aligned to those type of people because that's kind of how I operate. And so one to me is obviously motor. I mean, I, I use that. That kind of sums up motor. Um, you know, I, I mean, obviously, look, character is important. You know, Coach Olson used to always say this. Good people want to be around good people. Uh, good people want to be around good people. So character is important. And um, and then from there, you know, you're looking at the technical part of basketball. I mean, look, we're all looking for guys that can have good, you know, who can shoot the ball, who can score, who have good length, high IQs of the game. And, uh, you know, here at Georgia Tech, they've got to be able to meet the academic standards. Our, our academic requirements are like an Ivy League school. So, um, you know, I've got to find the right guys who are good enough to meet the standards academically and good enough to meet the standards of being at the ACC level. So all those type of things. And, you know, look, I, I've been fortunate. I mean, think about it. I've been under Coach Olson, who's in the Hall of Fame, one of the greatest of all time. I've been under John Calipari, who's in the Hall of Fame and one of the great coaches of all time. I've been under those two guys. I played and coached under both those guys. I've been able to have been on a team that's won a national championship. I've been around great players. So I've been able to really see different ways to, to have, you know, have success. And that's where I come in the end. I've got to find what really what's important to me, find the alignment, what I think is critical, and then try to do the best I can to, to get those guys. Now, once we target those young men, becomes the hard part. Can you get them? And that's where it's, you know, it's obviously recruiting is very competitive and cutthroat. And it's a lot of, you're trying to get everyone's trying to get the, the players that fit their system. Yeah. And, and you talk about the cutthroat nature of this business, college basketball and recruiting. And we all know, obviously, it, it was very newsworthy what was going on last year in the FBI investigations of, of different programs. And and once when I was talking to some uh, of my colleagues about having you on. One of my friends made a joke. He said, well, with Coach Pastner, if you open the dictionary and you looked at the word integrity, he's definitely going to be the picture that you're looking at. And so my question to you is, how do you keep your program clean and away from some of the outside influences that come in to try to, you know, infiltrate your program and, and reach out to your players to, you know, offer them things that uh, we all know is, is not acceptable under NCAA rules and regulations. You know, you, you have been coaching for a long time. You said 10 years, obviously, as a head coach, 21 years coaching period, and you're still, what, 40, 41 years old. 
And you've seen how these outside influences have come in. And the greatest of the greatest, uh, when you talk about some of, the, some of the coaches, for instance, Rick Pitino, who's been around the block many, many years, you still get caught up in things. You know, how do you keep your program from, uh, you know, falling into some of those bad influences? Well, here's what I, here's what I would tell you. Look, I, I, I think coaches are teachers. I think there's so many great coaches and teachers in the game. I just think we're in a day and age where everything is just can be sensationalized. And so again, I'm looking at more of the positive and saying that, you know, on any field of a profession that you're looking at, there's always can be somebody that wants to do something the wrong way here or something the wrong way there, but you're talking the point zero 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 one percent And that includes in, in, in our game. I mean, 99.999% of, of people in the game or the coaches in the game are doing it right. They've got the right intentions, the right motives. I just think because of the time period we're in, something happens and it, just, it gets blown up. It gets sensationalized. And, and I look at this, try to look at the opposite way and say of all the great uh, and all the great things about the game and, and all the great people in it. And so, you know, look, any profession you're in is there, there's no easy profession and everyone's doing the very, very best they can. And, and I don't care if it's a teacher in middle school or, or a police officer or a doctor, a college basketball coach, someone working at the bank, there might be a bad apple here and there. But again, the 99.99999% of people in that industry are wanting to do it right. They care about the customer or the young person or whatever it may be and or the patient. And, and so I look at it as just, you know, just to look at all the great things about the game. And I, and I tell people a lot of times now there's a lot of focus, but a lot of the focus is about the very elite of the elite, student athlete, the one who's the 0.0001% who's good enough to ever play in the NBA. Again, the other 99.999% of these guys aren't going to play in the NBA. They're going to need college. They need the education. They need the experiences and the doors to open for them in, in college. So again, I think the game is, you know, there's a lot of great things about basketball. I think college basketball is awesome. You know, and like I said, I mean, I'm just a positive guy and I try to look at any situation on the, on the positive side of stuff. Hey coach, I was, uh, and, and we only have a few minutes left with you. I want to be respectful of your time, but I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I am fortunate in that at the moment when I moved to the Bay Area, the Golden State Warriors were coming into their own, having a lot of success. And when Coach Kerr went down with his, his back problems that he was having from a physical perspective, Coach Luke Walton steps in, and he takes over the team for 40-plus games. And it was the transition was so seamless. Now, first of all, when you're looking at the staff and you go, there's Wildcats everywhere. That's another reason why I think it's easy to be envious of what Coach Olsen built in Tucson. And you look at his coaching tree. And as I think about you as a coach and I go, you've had a lot of success and you still have so much time left in your career. And I'm looking at your coaching tree and I'm thinking, wait a minute. There are guys coaching at the highest levels around the country, professionally, collegiately, that were under you. And it's so impressive when, when, you, when you take a look. Forget about, you know, even obviously Luke Walton. Damon is over here down the road in Stockton, 
Stoudemire. And, and I look at the guys that had an influence, had an opportunity to be under you. And, and I think that's super impressive. I mean, how proud are you of, of the guys that were on your staff at one time now leading some major programs? You know, that's got to be something that you just sit back and go, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a real awesome thing when you're a head coach and you have people that's been under you and then from your program, they're able to get a, to get a head job. I mean, you know, I've had, you know, Luke Walton worked for me during the time period of, even though it was a short stint during the lockout, and now he's a head coach at the Lakers and Jason Gardner worked for me and now he's a head coach at IUPUI. Jack Murphy worked for me. He's the head coach at Northern Arizona. Uh, Damon Stoudemire worked for me. He's the head coach at Pacific. Uh, Willis Wilson worked for me. He's a head coach at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Uh, Glenn Cyprian worked for me. He he was the head coach of the G League team with the for the Memphis Grizzlies affiliate, who now he just became the associate coach at Texas Tech. And then uh, Tavares Hardy was my assistant as well too, and who's now the head coach at Loyola Maryland. So I've had a great I've had seven guys that have you know that I've worked with work for me at you know as an assistant and have have left the program to be a head coach and that's awesome it's a great thing I'm proud of those guys look you're only as good and for to have success it's it's all about how good your assistants are obviously your players the program and I've been very fortunate to have great people to have worked you know to uh, that I've been able to work with alongside with during my tenure as a head coach and it is the reason why I've been able to be fortunate to have some success and I guess if I've done anything right, I've hired some good people along the way. Sure. Do those guys reach out to you pretty regularly? I know everybody's busy and, and you have your program to run. They have their programs to run. But how often are you able to to get together? One of the things I always thought was cool about the NCAA, the Final Four, was it's like this big coaching convention and a big old home week almost where you're meeting with guys that, that you know in the profession. Aside from that, do you have regular interaction or even if it's moderate with some of these guys that, that were under you kind of picking your brain saying, Hey coach, gosh, you know, I'm not getting what I want out of my guys. Any feedback you can give me would be great. Is it, does any of that conversation happen? Yeah, no, that happens for sure. I mean, we talk a bunch. I mean, you know, when you move over from assistant chair to a head chair, there is no exact manual. So you move six inches over, you become, you become from making suggestions to making decisions. And so, you know, you're going through experiences. Look, I'm a better coach today than I was when I'm my first year. And it's just, that's just part of maturation and, and growing and learning. And it's the same thing for, for my assistants who, who are now head coaches. They'll tell you they are a better coach today than they were their first time they get on a job. I mean, and I really try to give them advice and from my experiences and give them, you know, my two cents. But in the end, they've got to do what they feels best and most comfortable. They'll ask questions and, and really get a, a feel and want to ask about certain experiences and how would you do it this way, coach? And so I just think it's, it's, I'm there for them to give them as much advice. Heck, I will ask them, hey, what do you think about this? Because once you've sat in that chair, you have an understanding on all the decisions that, that go along with it. So, you know, it's great. I'm, I'm able to stay in contact with them. Obviously, like you said, once kind of season gets going, everyone's busy in their own way because they're focusing on the season. But you you really get to spend a lot of time with guys during the summer, during recruiting, because when you're watching, you know, uh, games in the summer, you're you're sitting next to each other and, and able to strike up a lot of conversations and, and go from there. A couple of more questions and I'll let you get on with your day, Coach. 
going back to when you were elevated to the head coaching position at Memphis and you were following someone like a John Calipari, that had to be probably one of the most, I would want to say there could be some intimidation or even maybe some trepidation when you're asked to stay on and be the head coach at Memphis after all the success, after all the pros that had come through there? Well, he was the winningest coach in the history of the NCAA the last four years of his time at Memphis. It was the most wins ever. And, and that's why I got the job at Memphis. I got the job at Memphis for one reason. I got it because nobody else wanted it. I was at the right place. I was at the right time. I got a little lucky. A door opened for me. Now, it was on me to take advantage of it, but the door opened because nobody wanted it. They tried to hire a bunch of people. Nobody wanted it. And so I got lucky. And yeah, most people wanted to follow the guy after Calipari. And and I remember going to Cal and saying, coach, they've offered me the head job. Goodness gracious. How am I going to follow you? I mean, I mean, I'm sure most people thought I was probably been fired after the first year. And he was like, Hey, listen, why did you come work for me? I said, I want to be a head coach one day. And he says, well, you got your job. If they fire, you just come back and be my assistant. And I said, okay, perfect. <laughs> that's a nice net. That's a nice safety net. That's a good uh, backup. But it was, you kidding me, Donning? I mean, it was it was not easy. And I, and I was by myself for literally the first month because I didn't hire anybody. And everybody went with Coach Calipari to Kentucky. Right. Deservedly so. They should have gone to there, you know. <laughs> and I remember I was so mentally exhausted at one point I remember I was doing an interview on a couch in a mall on a local TV station. And I remember I was, because I hadn't slept. I mean, I was not sleeping. And I remember the, the, the people asking me the questions that I was sitting on the couch and all I was thinking is I just wanted to go to sleep on the couch. Like it was like a (laughs) 9 a.m. interview. And I don't know what I said in the interview. I don't remember what I just was thinking. I just want to go to sleep. And I remember thinking to myself, I was so exhausted. I was almost going to say, should I just go to the hospital to get like to check myself in for, for extreme mental exhaustion. Right. But I was able to get it, you know, through time. Once I hired people, I was able to kind of get it organized, take some things off my, I like to say my two badges of honor, when I got the head job at Memphis and I got the head job at Georgia Tech, I was by myself for about a month on both jobs. So I was running two programs by myself, literally. And, and those are my two badges of honors, you know, kind of, you know, joking about that. But, but it was daunting and um, it was interesting and I loved every second of it. I mean, there was you know, most first jobs, you get a chance to grow. You get a chance to make mistakes and no one knows about it. Well, in that job at Memphis, man, it was under a 24-7 fishbowl. Every, every, what, what I said at halftime, my post-game interview, who I was recruiting, what I was doing. I mean, it was under a fishbowl. And, and I was just thrown in the fire. And you were just, I was just going along. And, 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 and we had a great run, seven great years. And then when the Georgia Tech job opened, I got really fortunate. I thought I saw from afar, man, that would be a great job to get in the ACC in Atlanta. And I was very, very grateful to be able to have this opportunity. Hey, Coach, but that job also, I know a lot of people from afar said that was a difficult job. That would be a tough. Well, look, I, part of me internally, you know, I talked about this at the beginning of our podcast that about what I want about alignment, about internally driven. Well, to me, the drive was to say, OK, I took over at Memphis that was at the highest of the highs. And I was coming at Georgia Tech where you're trying to rebuild it 
and continue to build it back up to where it was back in the day to say, so you, I, I've seen it two different ways. I was very fortunate coming in here that uh, the previous coach did a great job with the culture. So, you know, a lot of times when you take over a job, you got to change the culture. What was awesome here was the previous coach, who was Brian Gregory, who had good success. The culture was was strong, was very, very strong. So I didn't have to deal with that. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful and thankful for that. I just had to maintain the culture. But to have the, the drive internally to see it both directions, both from, you know, taking something over at the highest of the high and then taking something over where you're trying to, they want you to build it back to what it was back, maybe back in the day. You know, I've seen it from from both directions, so it's exciting, and and uh, we still got a long way to go. And who knows if it works itself out? If it does, I can say I've, I've, I've seen, you know I've done it both ways. Coach uh, Chris Bosch is being uh, inducted into the the Georgia Tech Hall of Fame, and do you get a chance to interact with some of the players in the past? John Sally obviously was a legendary player there, and Mark Price and Kenny Anderson. Do those guys come back to campus and, and help support you and what you're trying to do there to get it back to what it was in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s? Yeah, I, yeah. there's so many great players that have played at Georgia Tech. When I first got here at the job, I was looking through the wall of all the great players, and I was like, man, I forgot some of these guys even play here. I mean, they've had such a strong tradition and history of great players to play through here. You know, we obviously when you get the job, you're reaching out to all those guys and wanting to keep them in the loop and make sure you you know you touch as many as you can. And so we try to do a good job of reaching out to all the former guys. And you know, again, like you said, I mean, some of these guys are busy, and but they love all they all love Georgia Tech, and and we've stayed in. You know, we've making sure they're getting all the stuff from the letter winners and making sure they're they're kept in the loop and and we make sure they understand that this is their program, not my program. This is their program. They put the blood, sweat, and tears into it. Hey, Coach, one more thing. First of all, thanks again, Coach Pastor, for coming on on our podcast, something that newly launched, and for you to, to take time out of your day and, and, and join us. It's, it's tremendous. It's an honor for us. And uh, I wanted to say what I thought was really cool this morning was you grew up in Texas, correct? I grew up in Houston, Texas, yep. Okay, so uh, and you played it at Arizona, and then you went on, and you were at Memphis, and now you're Atlanta. What was great was when that phone rang; it still said Tucson, Arizona, <laughs> and uh, and I went. I know that area code. I worked at Arizona State University for a number of years. Once a Wildcat, always a Wildcat, and. I'm not going to have you speak on someone else's job. I think Coach Sean Miller is doing a tremendous job at Arizona. If he happens to pull a Brad Stevens and he moves up to the NBA to take over a program, I'm pretty sure there's a whole nation of Wildcat alums and fans that are going to hope and pray that Josh Pashner comes back to Tucson and gets to coach the Wildcats at, at McHale Center because um, that would be something. Talk about going full circle. I, I couldn't think of a better person, better coach. Uh, and, and once again, Coach Miller's doing a tremendous job there. If he if he decides to move on, I know for a fact there would be a whole nation of uh, Wildcat fans that would want to see you out there coaching at McHale Center. So that would that would be a cool thing. Coach, I'm going to let you get on with your day. Thank you so much for coming on DivisionOneBasketball.com. And good luck this year. I know you have uh, a real heavy, heavyweight schedule. And I was going to say, you know, um, I've, yeah, I've kept my Arizona number for a long time. So everybody's got the number because it was the same number I had back in the day when I was at Tucson. That's one, two. I just want to say Sean Miller's done one unbelievable job. I mean, he's he has the success that he has had there has been just outstanding. I mean, they are 
year in, year out, they are always very, very good. They are recruiting at the highest of high levels. They're right there with the Kentuckys and the Dukes, you know, in the North Carolinas, and they're going to be continue to be really, really good year in and year out. Sean's the way Sean's going. He's going to be on a you know chance to be in the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, and he's going to break through here sooner than later, uh, going to the Final Four and then possibly a, a championship. And then the third thing is for us here at Georgia Tech, uh, I'm excited about this season. We lost the young man Josh Okogie to the NBA draft, who went 20th in the draft. It kind of it's great for him. It's great for us. It's great for recruiting. It just stinks for next season. We were counting on him, so <laughs> we're going to have to kind of manage. We'll be picked at the bottom again. But that's okay. I've re- we've really positioned ourselves for this is year three. I look at it, but our, really year four and year five, we'll, we'll really have a full team back in those years. We're going to be older, and I keep saying to win in the ACC, we've got to get old and stay old. And by that time, and year four and five will be there. So I'm excited about this year. It's kind of a bridge year for us between the two years, year two and year four, and we'll see how it all shakes itself out. But I appreciate you having me on and your time very much. Coach, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of what's left of the summer as you get into the basketball season. Good luck this year. We'll be watching you, and I know you'll have a lot of success because uh, you've been successful everywhere you've you've been coaching, and uh, so we know that's not going to be any different this year. Good luck to you, Coach, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up uh, down the road. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, Coach. So that was Coach Josh Pastner, head coach at – Georgia Tech, the rambling wreck, and we're fortunate to have him on with us on the Division1Basketball.com podcast. Coach Passon does such a tremendous job there at Georgia Tech. That was a job, by the way, that not a lot of people were looking at. I, I played with a guy in college, Josh Oppenheimer, who was my point guard in college, and, and he introduced me to, uh, at the time, Paul Hewitt, Coach Hewitt, who was at Georgia Tech and took them to a Final Four and they had success there, obviously. And But that was a tough job. Coaching in Atlanta, where there were a lot of distractions, you've got the NFL, you've got the NBA, you have a lot of different places where people could spend their dollars, their entertainment dollars. So to, to coach there at Georgia Tech and to get people to come into the building is not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. I even think about the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves won all those different division titles, and they would never sell out. At the time, I think it was Fulton County Stadium for games, and they had Hall of Fame players. Maddox, you know, was was pitching there, and and Tommy Glavin, and it was a lot of success, and yet they couldn't sell out that place. And so, to be a head coach at Georgia Tech, where Coach Coach Passner had mentioned. The academic rigors make it so that you just can't recruit any and everybody to, to play there. You have to be able to get into school there and then handle the academic curriculum there. It's tough. It's a tough job. And then to coach in a conference that every night there are heavyweights coming for you and trying to beat you, not only on their home court, but at your place. And the, the league is stocked with NBA talent. So for Coach Passner to, to take that job and to have success, and I know they're going to turn the table and get to that tournament, the NCAA tournament, and, and have a long run, it's inevitable. He's just too good of a coach. He's he's too positive. He's got great people around him, and it's an awesome institution, Georgia Tech, in, in Atlanta. It's a, it's a great place to go and play college basketball and to be a student athlete. So he, I know he will get it, get it there. He's going to continue to have players want to play for him because if you watch – 
some of the the coaches around the country as they in the way that they deal with their players and the way that they coach the game and interact with referees and you know all those things that go into coaching a college basketball game and running a major program he had mentioned it earlier you're ceo of your own program it's tough there are a lot of moving parts and he's one of the best in the business to to do what he does and i i definitely commend him for it it's it was great to have him on the podcast today and that's that's what we're we're aiming for. We're, we want to aim for talking to the coaches that keep it positive and keep it real, but also have success. And they have a formula of success. Seven coaches that have coached under Coach Pastner, and he's only 40 years old, 40, 41 years old, have gone on to lead their own programs. And obviously, you have a Luke Walton who was here at uh, Golden State with the Warriors and then became the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers and Damon Stoudemire he mentioned and Jason Gardner there are so many players and coaches that were under him at such a young age and he went on to success uh, running their own program so he's he's just he's just as real as it gets he's U of A through and through he was a guy that walked on as a player I don't think he was on scholarship there I think he walked on there I might be wrong but they won a national championship there. Then he went on and, and was an assistant at Arizona and then became an assistant coach at Memphis working under John Calipari and then took over that head job there and followed a guy who'd won so many games and been to the title game. And for him to, to take over a program like that when Coach Cal went on to Kentucky, that's monumental, but that's also major league pressure. And like he said, every single day people are, are following him and, and asking what's Coach Passner doing today. And so for him to have success there, that that's a testament to someone who was always prepared and once again had a tremendous base coaching under Lute Olson. So, you know, I commend him tremendously. Once again, making the move to Georgia Tech, a place that's not easy. Once again, so many people have so many options when when you're in Atlanta that to get them to come in and watch your college team play, you better be winning. You better have some success. You better be recruiting the right guys that represent the program in the community. And he's done that, and, he, and he's going to continue to do that. And I kidded with him at the end of his his visit with us here at DivisionOneBasketball.com when and if he ever has an opportunity to get back into the Pac-12. And and once again, Coach Sean Miller is a tremendous coach. He was actually in college when I was in college. He was playing as a point guard at Pittsburgh. And I was at Northern Arizona University. And I got to see him as a player. And he was a lot of fun to watch as a player. And he went on and, and became a coach and is a successful head basketball coach with a few stops prior to getting to the U of A. And, and once again, looking at that program and what he's done and and he's going to get there he'll win a national championship there i i really believe that but if he if he pulls a brad stevens and he makes a move to the nba or or whatever his future holds i know for a fact people are gonna be lining up to say hey we're buying season tickets because josh pastner is coming to the u of a and and i think a lot of people would love to see that so thanks once again for those of you who have found us here at DivisionOneBasketball.com, the podcast, and are turning into hopefully fans of our podcast as we continue to bring people like that, Coach Josh Passner, to our, our podcast and, and give you an inside look at what 
they're dealing with and what they're working through as head coaches and and CEOs, like he called himself, of major college basketball teams and programs, and get an opportunity to hear from these these individuals as they talk about what it's like to recruit and the the key attributes that they look for in players, not just their playing ability, but also them as people, you know, what kind of character that they bring to the program. So that's what we're aiming for. And we're going to have players on and we'll have former players and current players and, and of course, coaches and, and anyone that's associated with the Division One basketball game. So that's that's what we can look forward to. The basketball season is going to be starting in another month, month and a half. And so these guys get busy. But uh, for him to take the time to join us when when we know that there are a lot of things that make up uh, the schedule and the day of a college basketball coach, especially at the Division One level, doesn't get any easier at other divisions. But at the Division One level, we know all of the challenges that are out there and, and people reaching for you and trying to get get a hold of you and get attention. That meant a lot for us to have Coach Passner on. So I'm Wendell Tull. I am the host of Division One Basketball and. I appreciate you coming in and joining us. So keep tuning in. Tell your friends about what we're doing here. And we're going to grow this thing. And we're going to give you access, the inside access to these coaches and, and players, everyone that's, that makes up this great game of Division One college basketball. Thanks for joining. We will be back at you in the not too distant future.